This is a Diet of Brussels. Uh, let's talk about the new European Union, or the, the newish European Union. Uh, we're here on uh, a Wednesday morning, the day after a, well, what has been the longest European Council ever, uh, came to a conclusion about who it was going to recommend for the various top jobs. Um, You'll have seen various things talking about these people, and I'm going to talk a little bit about them. But I think it's useful just to think a little bit about what this tells us about the European Union, uh, what this doesn't tell us about the European Union, and also just uh, how this fits in with the, the Brexit process. Because the EU is an essential and an unavoidable part of Brexit, that uh, how the EU uh, acts who leads it, the ideas that it embodies all matter in shaping the, the debate that, that goes on. And so it's really uh, essential to have an understanding of that because it also shapes what happens here in the UK. So what were we doing? Well, we were trying to basically do the periodic refill of senior positions. So after the European elections uh, last month, we uh, then have to use that new parliament to help uh, select a, a new commission. So the European Parliament has to get its own house in order uh, with electing officers, electing a president, which it's doing today. Uh, and then it has to approve the suggestion for a president of the commission uh, made by the European Council. Uh, and then when the European Parliament signed off on that, the member states go away, come back with some uh, nominations for the rest of the Commission, who then have to pass uh, muster uh, again with the European Parliament, and then sometime in the autumn everything gets signed off and the new Commission starts in uh, October, November time. So that's the usual thing that happens. We also now have had, for the last 10 years, uh, at the same time, a decision about who's going to be uh, president of the European Council. So uh, that's something just for member states to decide in the European Council. Uh, and again, this person comes in uh, in the uh, autumn as uh, part of uh, a new uh, direction and steerage for the organization. We also have uh, in the mix high representatives, so the European Union's foreign minister in effect, who uh, is a vice president of the commission, but also a member of the Council of Ministers. Uh, that person also needs to be uh, approved by uh, the member states and by the parliament. Um, and uh, excitingly, this time we've also got the looming end of uh, Mario Draghi's uh, time as president of the European Central Bank, which is coming up uh, for a uh, replacement at the end of this year. And because of all these jobs coming together, uh, the mentality is, well, we should be thinking about, uh, and actually the legal requirement is, we have to think a bit about the reflection of different forces and factors within the European Union 
in uh, filling up those jobs. So we need to think a bit about the geographic diversity of the union. We need to think a bit about the ideological diversity. Uh, and importantly, this time also gender has been much more of a factor. So uh, most of the jobs, in fact, all of the jobs apart from high rep, uh, oh no, the European Parliament president has been a woman uh, once, uh, all of those jobs have been filled by men. So we need to think about some women in senior positions too. The problem has been, as you will have seen, that the principle might all be well and good, but the practice is a complete pain in the neck. And the reason for that is these jobs, whilst they are multiple, uh, are not equal. Uh, different people and different groups want different jobs. You know, clearly the plum ones are Commission President and European Council President. You know, those are the ones that have got some really big kudos behind them. Uh, Central Bank requires a very specific set of skills, apparently not as specific as you might have imagined. Uh, and, uh, you know, being president of the European Parliament is, well, sort of second tier, and the high rep role is uh, somewhere in the middle. So all of these things have really conspired to make this decision very difficult, hence the multi-stage process that the European Council has gone through. Remember that there was a European Council last week to try and dissolve the, uh, decide this, which failed. Meetings in around the G20 in Osaka on Saturday, dashing back to Brussels for a meeting on Sunday, which then got postponed until Monday, which then got postponed again until Tuesday, uh, and then just eventually rabbits from a hat to produce the complex that we have now. So what did we end up with? Well, an effort to try and tick the boxes and uh, provide people. So if we start from uh, the top, the uh, proposal for Commission President is the current German Defence Minister, uh, Ursula von der Leyen, who uh, came in as a very last-minute um, candidate. Uh, again, some debate this morning about whose uh, idea it was. Some people saying it was Emmanuel Macron, some people saying it was the uh, Visegrad uh, Quartet, Central, uh, Central European countries, uh, basically coming in as somebody who is from the centre-right, the EPP, obviously, uh, who is a woman, uh, is German, uh, and uh, as such uh, is a good uh, way of dealing with the... Uh, lack of desire of member states to follow through on the Spitzenkandidat process. Now, uh, this is basically an invention of the groups in the European Parliament that because they have to approve the Commission President, they decided five years ago it would be good that if they could just agree that whichever group got the most votes, that would be uh, their, their nominated person would be the person that the Parliament would back up as the only person they'd accept as Commission President, which led to Jean-Claude Juncker. They tried that again this time, but the groups were less coordinated. Uh, they chose someone in Manfred Weber uh, who lacked uh, the kind of profile that Juncker had. 
Juncker wasn't even an MEP uh, at the time, whereas Manfred Weber has been nothing but an MEP. Uh, and uh, really did themselves no favours in getting caught up in knots uh, in the wake of uh, the results. So uh, von der Leyen is uh, uh, really uh, an effort to kind of match some of the characteristics in her Germanness and her EPPness, uh, whilst also offering uh, uh, the first woman uh, in the role. Uh, and somebody who uh, is uh, also not uh, someone with a track record in uh, European politics in that way. She has a, an extensive background in German politics, but one that at the European level is not really present, notwithstanding the fact that she comes from uh, a family who have had a, a long involvement in uh, the European Union in various capacities, notably her father. Um, but uh, one of the things that worked for her, particularly for the, the Visegrad countries, was that she wasn't Franz Timmermans, who was the centre-left Spitzenkandidat, who has been very vigorous in promoting rule of law and had made himself very unpopular in places like Budapest and uh, Warsaw. So she comes in then as somebody who... Uh, is, uh, if you like, a consensus candidate. Uh, strikingly, the German government had uh, abstained uh, on approving her because the uh, coalition partners, the SPD, the centre-left, had uh, complained uh, about this, and so Angela Merkel wasn't able to actually support her. But clearly to have uh, someone who is seen as a close uh, ally of Angela Merkel for a long time as a... Uh, crown prince, crown princess, uh, to replacing Merkel, even though that looks like it's not going to happen, is something that is uh, not uh, a problem uh, for Merkel uh, as she thinks about what uh, comes next. Next to her, you have uh, the proposal of Charles Michel, uh, the current Belgian prime minister, interim uh, as president of the European Council, so replacing Donald Tusk. Uh, again, someone with a big Belgian uh, and EU backstory. His father was a member of the Commission, Louis Michel, uh, and uh, somebody who has a lot of experience of uh, how the EU uh, and the European Council works. And so uh, it seems to be a great clearing ground and training ground that if you're Belgian Prime Minister at some point you have a pretty good chance of getting a plum EU job. But someone who's really quite uh, conventional in politics, maybe not uh, the most forceful of uh, characters, but then European Council presidents never seem to be for exactly the reason that member states probably don't want someone too forceful to be European Council president. Uh, and uh, representing the uh, liberal group uh, in uh, all of that. So somebody who I think reflects the, the composition of the, the European Council at this stage quite well. You then have uh, Josep Borrell, who's the current Spanish uh, foreign minister, uh, as the suggestion for the high representative. So this would be the first man in the role, uh, following Frederica. Mogherini uh, and Cathy Ashton. Uh, 
again, somebody with a lot of insider knowledge, former president of the European Parliament, MEP, lots of uh, connections. His foreign policy side is maybe uh, less uh, uh, prominent uh, in his portfolio, but again, has been uh, an active part of the Sanchez government. So again, a centre-left person uh, coming through. And again, uh, one of the first times where you've seen a Spanish politician get uh, one of these jobs. And then the last suggestion from yesterday was Christine Lagarde as uh, president of the European Central Bank. Now, she is currently uh, chair of the IMF, uh, although actually currently she's uh, taken an interim break from uh, that post uh, so that she can pursue this uh, nomination. Mm -hmm. uh, French politician, very high profile, very much more political a figure than previous uh, ECB uh, presidents um, and not someone with direct central bank uh, experience. Certainly uh, a lot of familiarity with international uh, financial markets and uh, the issues involved, the IMF being involved in assorted uh, troikas and uh, austerity programs. Someone who actually was very critical uh, or is increasingly critical of the kind of austerity uh, programs that have been taken by uh, the EU and by member states. So uh, as somebody who comes in from uh, the centre-right, uh, again, as somebody who is French, uh, she provides a slightly different take on, on that particular position. The European Council didn't advance any suggestions on who should be uh, European Parliament president, probably for the, the fact that uh, I think that would be a little bit d'ombre uh, of them, given that the uh, European Parliament is voting today on who is going to be president, and it would be given the, the removal of the Spitzenkandidat process to then say, also, we're going to tell you who you should elect as president is going to just be rubbing salt in the wounds. Uh, at the moment, it looks like uh, we're going to find a, a centre-left president. At this stage, Manfred Weber refused to uh, let himself be put forward as a consolation prize for this, even though he's going to stay on as head of his group. And the European Parliament really is uh, going to be the, the key testing ground uh, of this package. It's worth stressing this package puts women in senior positions in the, uh, the Commission and in the Central Bank, where they haven't been before. It provides for a mix of different political groups, but uh, it doesn't really address the geography issue. If it addresses geography at all, it's in the negative sense that the V4 spent a lot of their political capital on blocking Timmermans as a compromise candidate, which was the, the suggestion uh, back on Sunday, which had got quite a long way in building a, a constituency. And uh, from that, uh, there is again no, no one east of Berlin who is getting representation in this uh, system. The Nordics also have failed uh, to uh, show any flexibility, their interest in supporting uh, Vestager as uh, commission president meant that other opportunities were not 
pursued. So again, we still haven't had a, a Scandinavian Nordic uh, senior official uh, come through at this stage, despite very long membership for that group of countries. All of this, I think, we have to remember is conditional. The European Parliament still has to approve the Commission President and the High Rep. Uh, it's not clear at this stage that they will uh, do that, uh, and they might well feel aggrieved that their Spitzenkandidat process has been uh, trampled all over in uh, a very uh, obvious and uh, wanton kind of way. But for them, the, the choice is going to be if they don't accept this, then what do they try and put in place instead? Uh, do they try and push uh, the Weber uh, line, which is what they had nominally agreed to before the European Parliament elections? Or do they just say, well, it's not good, but we can come back again? At the moment, I think you probably have to guess that it's more likely to be the latter, that uh, Weber doesn't seem to uh, be putting up as much of a fight as he would if he were really going to try and force the issue. And uh, again, clearly, by having uh, the proposals that you do, all of these people are people who are very friendly to the European Parliament. You've got one former president, you've got in uh, von der Leyen uh, a very... Uh, vocal federalist uh, voice, someone who's been happy to express uh, pro-federalist views. Uh, Charles Michel is also uh, a friend of the union. So in terms of uh, the kinds of people you've got, which uh, we've got, what, 17 minutes into this and I've only started to mention what kind of people they might be, uh, you can see that uh, the European Council has tried to make it really hard for the European Parliament to uh, looked like it's doing anything other than throwing its toys out of the pram if it doesn't accept this deal. So we still have to also get through the confirmation of the new commission because the commission president is just one person amongst the 28-strong team. Uh, so uh, that will doubtless bring up more opportunities for the European Parliament to stick the knife into one or more uh, commissioners uh, uh, have been proposed uh, as it does every time because it always wants to make the point that uh, it does actually matter what the European Parliament thinks. The question is who's going to try and chance their arm in terms of uh, uh, nominating somebody who is either unsuitable for the role or uh, unacceptable to the European Parliament uh, because of their politics or some other uh, character flaw or policy flaw. What this tells us is actually that the European Union is a system of negotiation and compromise, that there was never a clear consensus around uh, a package deal uh, for this. Uh, those of you on Twitter would have been following EU top jobs guesswork as a hashtag uh, where the ideas became ever more crazy uh, and ridiculous uh, and nobody really knew because nobody was really in charge. And again, uh, to those who see the EU as a system of control by the Germans or by the French and Germans, I think this really highlights that even those two are not really in control of the system, that it's much broader based consensus that you need to be developing. 
it also highlights the the way in which uh, even those who might appear to be relatively weak in the process are able to exert some uh, influence. There was a whole discussion about bringing uh, Krista Georgieva, who's current uh, president of the World Bank, uh, Bulgarian, back in to do one of the jobs uh, and the Bulgarian president uh, saying he would really only support that if it were the top job, the commission president, which was not then on the table. Um, so uh, able to uh, kind of shape uh, what does and doesn't happen is something that matters. Again, the V4 uh, blocking Timmermans uh, is something that they have been very uh, vocal about uh, and, you know, rather rebellious about their success in stymieing his chances. Also, what it uh, shows is that the system is not one that has a clear plan. As much as nobody's particularly in control, uh, the extension of that is that there is not a teleological end to this process. It's not that we are heading in a particular direction. It is more circumstance leads us to make a decision that works for now and we'll worry about what it actually means for the future of the Union uh, later on. So we have no real sense of what von der Leyen is uh, going to propose as a, a programme of work for the Commission. Uh, we have no sense of how uh, policy will change at the central bank, for example. We don't know whether Borrell is going to be uh, more like Cathy Ashton, more managerial, or more like uh, Margarini, more uh, out in the field, or a different kind of uh, high rep. Uh, again, uh, all of these things uh, seem to be very secondary. Uh, and again, uh, this I think is fairly typical of the EU, is that uh, you deal with the problems that are in front of you rather than thinking about the strategic planning uh, as a starting point and working back to, well, what people do you need to achieve that particular aim? All of which brings us to a, a final set of thoughts, which is what does this matter for Brexit? Well, largely, not very much. Uh, the EU position on Brexit will not materially change because of these people. Uh, all of them are very much uh, in line with the strong consensus that exists in uh, the EU27 about not renegotiating the withdrawal agreement, uh, about uh, making the UK justify why it needs more time. Uh, and uh, again, Brexit is not decided by the top people. It's decided by the member states as a whole. Uh, and those member states, despite having gone through many changes of governments over the three years since the 2016, has stayed basically where it uh, was back in June uh, of that year. So even though we might see some different kinds of uh, specific wording from these different individuals, uh, we're not likely to see any big shifts. Um, Charles Michel, as uh, president of uh, the European Council, has been uh, closely involved in a lot of the discussions already, knows well what his uh, counterparts around the table think, uh, and isn't going to be moving away from that. Uh, von der Leyen has not pronounced on uh, Brexit, but again, 
uh, is bound by the mandate that she receives from the member states, uh, which is not uh, going to be changed either. So in short, uh, whilst there's always a fixation on leaders, and uh, the UK is a good example of that, and uh, you notice I've not really got into the UK debate uh, about leadership, uh, the leaders are not the crux of the matter. Yes, the optics of different people uh, making the same arguments can make a bit of a difference, but in substantial formal terms, we are now where we were before uh, either of the two parties in the Brexit process, the UK and the EU, uh, went through this leadership change. So, lots to think about, uh, lots of things to watch out for in the EU top jobs. Uh, you know, does, is there going to be a growing strain between the European Parliament and the Member States uh, because of this uh, deal? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, is there going to be... Uh, some efforts to try and make friends by the UK with the new people uh, coming into these uh, jobs in Brussels and Luxembourg uh, and Frankfurt. Uh, that's also to be seen. But uh, we will continue to keep looking at this and to be recording episodes for you. And thank you for your time. We'll talk again soon.